we just got back from Pastor Summit. Monica and I were there with Amo, um, but Amo's taking some more time off. Well-deserved break with the family, so he's in Betty's Bay, and he says hello. So that leaves it to me to speak in the Afrikaans morning service in English. Um, I'm, I'm praying for the gift of tongues to hit me, and one day I will speak an, an English sermon, and it will sound like Afrikaans too. Um, maybe if I just apply an Afrikaans accent, you know. Uh, welcome everybody to to the. No, I'm joking. Okay, it's not going to work. Fantastic. Okay, so. We had a great time. Um, once a year, all the pastors from all the Shofar churches get together, and um, we meet up for the pastor summit. We take four days out, and it's a time of uh, impartation. It's a time of connection. Uh, it's time for the pastors to get ministered to, um, you know. And then we we hail Snotentrana, but the horrible people in our congregations and. And, um, you know, they, they won't listen. And, no, we, we Omo and I, we, we're actually quite blessed. Something that Omo and I were talking about when we were there, wow, we have an amazing church with an, ama- with an amazing bunch of people. Because, amen. Yeah, give yourselves a round of applause. Um, and so I really came back with a sense of, Gratitude, not that I was feeling ungrateful beforehand, but I think it just puts things in perspective, you know. Um, we're moving somewhere, and it, it's, it feels like it's not just myself and Amo. And for a large part of the section, it kind of feels like, Amo and I were talking about this, how, you know, people just go and do stuff, and you have to go find out what they're doing. And that's great. Because it means that we're not starting it and we're not running it. People are hearing from God and moving out. You know, and maybe if we're not hearing about it, then that's fine. Um, we don't need to hear about it. We don't need to be in control of it. We don't need to. We don't want to be. Our, our job is to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And that seems to be happening. People are hearing from God and walking out and... Um, and enacting on the town what they feel God wanting to do. And that's amazing. And I just want to give yourselves a round of applause because, yeah, it's awesome. And um, this month we're going to be talking about prayer. And so I have the privilege of opening up the theme. And I'm really grateful for that because I wanted to start with what I believe prayer to be at its most fundamental. And prayer is many things. So if I don't mention, you know, what you believe prayer to be, we're probably going to get to, I'm not going to speak about how prayer is warfare, but prayer is warfare. Um, And we're going to get to that further on in the month. But before we start with um, getting to how prayer can be used, we've got to get to what prayer is. And prayer is fundamentally connection. Prayer is connection. And to be more specific, prayer is connection to our Father God. Prayer, prayer is a means 
to get stuff done. It is a means of bringing heaven to earth. It is a means of healing, bringing healing into people's bodies. But first and foremost, before we get to anything, Father God wants to connect with you. And that is what prayer is for. Are you, are you with me? Okay. And um, I was reminded of something that was spoken about in the pastor summit. Something that um, I heard back in Bible school a few years ago. And then one of the pastors brought it up. And I think he actually put it a bit better. And I wanted to talk about that. And it's, and it's, the, way, it's the way that um, it's the, way that some, the world works. And unfortunately, sometimes we get saved, but we still work in that earthly sort of cycle. It's the way that, that God's grace works. And we have a cycle of works. And then, we have, and then the idea is that we get transformed. And instead of um, adhering to the cycle of works, we come under a cycle of grace. So the cycle of works looks like this. Okay, I have to produce something. I have to be fruitful. Okay, and if I'm fruitful, then I have a work to do. Then I have something. And if I have something, then I'm significant. And if I'm significant, then I will finally be accepted. Okay, that's how the world works. That's how a cycle of works works. Okay, so if I, if I play the guitar well, then I am a guitarist. And if I'm a guitarist, then I'm cool. And if I'm cool, maybe I'll be accepted. Okay. That's how our school used to work. Anybody remember those days? Some of us maybe a bit too far back. Hey, Clyde. Yay. Thanks, Mary. Somebody was at high school. Sure. Somebody uh, felt the peer pressure. Um, or maybe, maybe you have a job. And if you do your job well, then that's what you do. And if that's what you do, then that makes you significant. And if you're significant, then you finally find acceptance. Um, you study hard, you have a degree, and then now you're a doctor, right? You're a doctor. And if you're a doctor, people think that you're very significant. And if you're very significant, then you accept. Does this sound familiar? Okay. And then we are transformed by God's grace, and he flips the whole thing upside down. And we go to a cycle of grace where we start off with acceptance, and because we are accepted, we receive significance. Okay? And because we have significance, with that significance comes with a work, a job that we can do, put purpose in. And when we apply, when we start off with acceptance to significance with the work, we find by the grace of God, it naturally leads to fruitfulness. Are you with me? And this is this is this is transforming the mind. Okay, if you if you want to know what it looks like to renew your mind, it's to get from a cycle of works to a cycle of grace. And it takes constant reminder. I start with acceptance. I move towards uh, significance. I move towards a work, a job title, a purpose, and that naturally leads to fruitfulness. Okay. And I want to go through um, the cycle of grace step by step. But before we do that, let's open up our Bibles to Romans 8. We're going to read through that. 
Romans 8. Romans 8 is a good chapter to read, I'd say at least twice a year. You know, start off your year before you write down the New Year's resolutions. <laughs> How many of you feel like you're always writing out New Year's resolutions out of the stuff that you're really bad at? <laughs> you know? Oh, gosh. Lord help us. Um, so, Romans 8 is one of those chapters. It's a good chapter to start off the year with. Before you do anything, start off with Romans 8. Or if you've had a mid-semester break... You know, you're a student. Start off the year, semester, read Romans 8. It really, this is, if you want to get the renewing your mind right, this is it. So this is how Paul starts it. And just to give you a bit of context, Romans 7. Romans 7 is a very depressing chapter. I don't know if you've ever read it. If you read Romans 7 by itself, you're going you're gonna to be very depressed. So you've got to read Romans 7 and 8 together. And Romans 7 is all about... I am the worst possible human in existence. Paul says, the things that I don't want to do, that's the stuff that I do. And the things that I do want to do, those are the things I don't do, you know. How many of you feel like that sometimes, you know? Um, oh, you know, somebody was saying to me, uh, not saying, sorry, I was, wasn't saying to me. I was, it was a YouTube lecture that I was, I was watching. And the guy was talking about... Um, you know, there's there's a big move to legalize um, uh, elective suicides. You know, in in the first world, people people want to choose when they can die, and um, and he was sort of taking that to task. And he said, well, you know, if you want to choose when you can die, you you presume that you belong to yourself, but that's not true because if you truly belong to yourself, then you would say, this is what I believe, and you would act that out. Or you would say, this is what I'd want to do, and that's what i go do. But human nature tends to do, we know what we ought to do, but it seems like those are the things that are most difficult to do. Are you with me? Because, well, the, the, the fact is that we don't belong to ourselves, because before Christ, we are slaves to our flesh, and we are slaves to the prince of darkness, and after Christ... We are bond slaves of Christ. And at no point have we ever belonged to ourselves. That is the reality of the situation. And so I don't think I'm the best person to decide when I should die. <laughs> it, it makes no sense, right? Um, because if I think I'm the person that should decide when I die, well, then it's, it's probably because, well, I'm not being influenced by Christ because Christ brings to... <laughs> came to bring life and life in abundance. And if I don't have that mindset, then I must be a slave to the prince of this world, the, the prince of darkness. You, are you with me? Um, so Paul started, he, he reads Romans 7, uh, he writes Romans 7 kind of with that theme that I'm a wretched person and I have no control over myself. Absolutely no control. It's very depressing. Okay, great. Just keep that in mind. Romans 7, very depressing. So you must read Romans 8 if you read Romans 7. Romans 8, he starts off, 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. For the law of, of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do. Okay? Remember I said Romans 7, I can't do these things. I have no control over myself. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sin, flesh and for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not to submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Okay, remember that cannot. That's, it's not that you don't want to, it's that you do not have the ability to. Okay? Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, here's the good news, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Amen? And if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of the sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Sounds pretty good to me. Okay. Um, I'm not going to read the whole thing. Instead, I'm going to start with the idea of acceptance. So you can go to that next slide there. I want to walk through this, this cycle of grace step by step. Okay. So um, a, good, a good place to start when you're looking for a model on how this is, is supposed to work is to look at Jesus, right? You with me? Okay, great. You guys passed Sunday school. That's good. Okay, so if we want an example of how to live life or how life should be lived, or we look at Jesus. And Jesus is very interesting in the fact that, you know, he started his ministry at the age of 30. Okay, and the, the man who works by a cycle of works will go, well, he's just waited, wasted 30 years. Just think of all the stuff that he could have done in those 30 years. Does that sound familiar? Okay. Wow, you wasted so much time. Okay. Wow, I can't believe you spent that perfume on that guy's feet. You could have sold that, made money, and given it to the poor. Does that sound familiar? That's starting from fruitfulness. You have to produce. You have to come up with something. Okay? Jesus does not do that. He waits 30 years. It reminds me of that Abraham Lincoln quote. He says, if I have eight hours to chop down a tree, I'll spend six hours sharpening the axe. You know? And, and there's, there's very practical reasons to why Jesus started at the age of 30. In the Jewish culture, in the, at the age of 30, you become you you are seen as an elder in the community. Um, you now have um, not just the right. So at, at the age of thirteen, you you're given the right to read 
from the, the Torah at that time, what it was called, in the synagogue. At the age of 30, you're now, you're now given the right to, to teach. So you, it's not just about, you don't just read what the prophet said, now you can interpret and teach what the prophet said at the age of 30. So there's a very practical reason. And as Jesus says there in Matthew 3, verse 13 to, to 17, he, he goes to John the Baptist and he says, you know, I want you to baptize me. And John says, well, I should be baptizing you. And he says, no, it is appropriate that you baptize me. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. Why was it that he waits till he's 30? To fulfill, for the same reason, to fulfill all righteousness. And that's, that's, that's an amazing thing is that the acceptance didn't just start over here, but the acceptance started when he was born, working towards what he was 30. Because so many people, we've had so many people come to the church, they're usually youngsters, students, or school kids, and they want to tell us how we are supposed to do our jobs, okay? And as and if you know anything about Amo, Amo is a very, very humble person. He's not insecure. He can take a shot. But there's... There's a difference between a new guy coming into the church and telling us what we ought to do, but then there's a difference between when Francois comes to us and says, Luke, I think we should be doing this, this, and this. I listen. Why is that? Because Francois has labored with us and put in the work and in a sense fulfilled a, a part of righteousness in the church community. He has earned and received a right to speak. The same with Renal. We all know Renal has labored in prayer for so many of us and for the church. Okay, If somebody that I did not know came into the church and said, I am an intercessor and this is what you should do, I'm going to go home and pray about it. If Renal comes and tells me, says, Luke, I think we should do this, I'm going to listen. You understand what I'm saying? So acceptance... Um, starts with understanding that there are house rules. Every family here, you have house rules. Don't put your feet up on the furniture. At 6 o'clock, we sit down as a family and we eat supper. You may not have your phone at the table. There are house rules. Do you understand what I'm talking about? As a nation, Israel had house rules. You may only teach, thank you, when... Um, when you are 30, okay? As a church here, we have house rules. We want you to come and share. We want you to impart, but we also want you to be involved with the community, build into the people, and then from here, build into places like work for a living or life community services, getting involved with the community, getting involved with your workplace. Do you understand what I'm saying? And then the second part of acceptance was that, well... Jesus got baptized, and something really cool happened. Okay, so open up your Bibles to Matthew um, 3, verse 13. I'm just going to read this quickly. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so now, for thus, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from the heaven said, This is my beloved Son, and when he finishes what I sent him to do, I will be pleased with him. No, that's not what it says, okay? This is my beloved son, with whom I, I am well pleased. Okay? It's an amazing thing that we've got to get into. It's before we start a work, before Jesus started a work, God spoke these words over him. This is my son, in whom I am well pleased. The pleasure of God upon his son, Jesus Christ, was not predicated on, on Christ's fruitfulness. Are you with me? And your, the, the pleasure that God experiences with you is not predicated on your ability to produce, okay? Fruit is very important, okay? It's, and, and I don't want you to get any mixed signals here, okay? The branch that does not bear fruit will be cut off, okay? But your acceptance by God is not predicated on your ability to produce, Okay, it is simply to come to the Father. Okay, so we've got to understand that there's there's two sides to the score, and you have to come to the throne room of God. Okay, but that throne room does have rules, and you've got to go figure out. They do have house rules. Okay, you can't just go and put your feet up on the furniture. Okay, I, I love. Have, you, have any of you ever read the the Narnia books or watched the movies or and, and there's, this great, there's this great line where they describe Aslan the lion who represents Jesus in the story. And he said, and they say, um, he's not a tame lion, but he is good. You know? and, that's, and that's kind of like, that's, that is, I, I just love that because that's exactly who God is. Okay? He's not, don't take him for granted, but he is good. You know, get with me? Okay. And that's part of the idea of being a son in the house. A son comes and sits with the father, but the son also know, knows that there are times when the father is my friend, but then there's a time when the father is a king. You get what I'm saying? I think that's what I'm trying to get with you. And acceptance is, is predicated on that. You cannot receive acceptance from God if you don't acknowledge that he is king. Okay? But then you must also acknowledge that he's not just king, but he's also your father. He's also your dad. And he loves you. You get what I'm saying? And, it's, and when, you get, when you can get those, those two things right, coming to the father with the sense that this is my father, who is well pleased with me, but he is my king. And I kneel, I will, the proper response to meeting him is to kneel in front of him and to give him glory for who he is for what he has done through his son, Jesus Christ. Awesome. You get those two things right, acceptance is there. No question asked. Okay. And it's also sort of echoed in Romans 8 verse 15. Our spirit cries out, Abba Father. And I love that song that Jacob was saying. Jacob, you're on fire today, man. 
Um, I think that was a song that you added, eh? To the set list. No, it was it there. But um, I, I think I think Jakobus was doing some serious praying this week. Thank you. He was on it. Okay. Um, so once we have acceptance, acceptance by nature of being accepted, we automatically then receive significance. Okay. And the significance comes because, as it says in Romans 8 verse 17, so I just read Romans 8 verse 15, a spirit cries out, Abba, Father, you know, he is our dad, he, he has accepted us, he has welcomed us to the table. Um, Psalm 23 talks about, you know, you meet with, with Father God and his reception of you is a table. It's that awesome picture of a table. And then... Romans 17 talks about we are now not just accepted, we're not just allowed into the room, into the throne room of God, but now we are given status. Status comes with significance, okay? And it's the difference between, it's the difference between Roger Federer and, and um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the prince of England, what's his name? Uh, yeah. One of them, we'll just call them, we'll just call them Prince, oh, Prince Harry, that's the one. Yes! I'm so glad that I can't remember their names. Um, so Roger Federer is significant because he is a good tennis player. Okay? If he wasn't a good tennis player, we wouldn't know who he is. He'd probably have the same status as I am. I love tennis, but I'm rubbish at it. You know? And nobody's lining up at the door to get my order, my um, signature for their tennis balls, okay? Prince Harry, on the other hand, when he comes to South Africa, he hasn't done anything. He is significant merely by birth because of who he is, okay? And I'm not saying he hasn't done anything as if, as if he's useless. I'm sure he's a very nice bloke. But the point is that your significance is kind of like that. You are not significant because of anything you have done because we haven't got to doing anything yet. That's stage four. You are significant because of who you are and whose you are. Okay? That uh, when you have been accepted by God, you have now been given a different role. You are now royalty. You are now co-heirs with Christ. Are you with me? Okay. So, acceptance. In significance. And Romans 8 verse 37 kind of echoes that. You're not, you're not just a guy in the room who comes into the room. You're now a conqueror. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Okay? Acceptance. Significance. And that's pretty cool. Because the next part gives you purpose. Because you are significant. Because you are accepted. Because then significant. Now you have a purpose, okay? By, by mere fact of being born a royal, Prince Harry now has been given a job, okay? He's probably never going to have to wonder about what he does with the rest of his life. He, he knows. Psalm 8 says, talks about how we have, to, I'd, I'd love to read Psalm 8, but I'm kind of running out of time, so read Psalm 8 in your own time. But Psalm 8 talks about how who are you that who are we that you are so mindful of us? You know? 
and yet you've, you've made us a little lower than the angels. You've given us dominion over the land. Another 2 Timothy says that if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. That's a job title. Okay? Your purpose is to reign. Your purpose is to have dominion over the world. Okay? And if dominion is a negative word to you, then you need to go renew your mind. Okay? And then because we have a purpose, go to the last one. This is where it gets really cool. Because you still think, well, then I've got to, then I've got to still produce something, right? Cool, I've got acceptance, I've got significance, I've got to work. But now the pressure's on. Now I've got to produce something. And if I don't produce something, I'm going to get cut off from the main branch. <gasps> but then what Scripture says, one Philipp, Philippians 1 says, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, who began a good work in you? Jesus, okay? That's not a trick question. He who began a work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So the guy who gave you acceptance is now also going to give you the fruitfulness. That sounds like a good deal. Are you with me? The guy who started the good work in you is now going to bring about the completion. And what, does, what is fruit? What does fruit look like? Yes, but the fruit looks like the lost being saved, okay? And anything that we are involved with, whether you are a doctor, whether you are an engineer, whether you want to be an accountant, hello Daniel, what's up? Um, I've got you Daniel, great. Whether you want to be an accountant, whether, whether you love books and organizing books here and now, everything that you are involved in should ultimately end with the purpose of bringing the lost into the kingdom of God. And what, what we heard, which helped me a lot, is that um, I may not be an evangelist, but I am still evan evangel evangelical. Okay, so that, what that means is that everybody has the responsibility of bringing about the lost into the kingdom of God. But here's the cool part, because maybe you think, well, if I'm not, if I'm not producing anything, I'm going to get... Well, no, but what Scripture says is that when I start off with the acceptance, okay, when I, and that leads to significance, and that brings about a purpose, the guy who started the whole process will be faithful to complete it. Isn't that cool? He who started a good work in you... We'll bring, a, we'll bring about completion. And now I did say that this month is about prayer. So what does this have to do with prayer? Well, I start off by saying that prayer is connection, first and foremost. And, we, and this also came about in the prayer meeting beforehand. You know, um, we use prayer for all sorts of things and very often for very noble things. We want to go pray for the sick so that they'll be healed. We want to pray for, for um, the town to be saved. We want to pray for our mayor. We want to pray for our president. Very, very, very good things that we need to warfare for. We want to pray for people's financial situations, for, for the poor and the needy. But prayer 
first and foremost, is about a connection with God. When we start off with the acceptance, when we use prayer for the connecting, receiving the acceptance, coming into the throne room of God, into the presence of God, we receive the significance. Okay? And we pray into our significance. We thank God through prayers that we are that we have received significance. We thank God that He has given us a purpose. And we use that purpose to bring about the, f- the fruit of God. So when I pray for somebody to be healed, I'm not praying from a place of, I need this guy to get healed. So that people will think, I'm really good at healing people. And if they think I'm really good at healing people, maybe they're going to call me up to the front to share testimonies. And then I'll be significant and finally... My fellow Christians will accept me, and I'll be welcome here. That sound a bit awkward? Yeah? But it happens. I've, I've done it before. I've fallen into that trap. You know, you've got to perform spiritually. You've got to bring a good word. I remember this time I was in Stellenbosch. I was just visiting. I was living in George, but I had just gone down for... for um, for a weekend, and I decided to go to the evening service, and they did a altar call, and yes, I thought, I'm going to go up front and show these peasants what a student pastor looks like, that he is from the Lord, you know, I'm so mighty, and they will tremble at my spiritual powers, and so I go up to this guy, and I'm, I'm starting to pray for him, and I, yes, and I'm trying so hard to stay very humble, but the pride is there. It's a reality. And I go, I just feel like God wants to restore the relationship with you and your father. And, and, and that. But I don't just leave it there. I don't ask him there. Because a good thing to do when you pray for somebody is to stop and ask if this makes sense so you know that you're on the right track. But I don't do that. You know what they say, pride before a fall. And I go on and I go on and I go on. And for about 10 minutes, I'm going on about him and his bad relationship with his father. And then finally I ask, does this make sense? And he goes, no, I have a great relationship with my dad. Thank you, Lord, for humbling me. But do you see where I started? I started with, I'm going to show these, this girl something. I'm going to show, uh, I'm going to produce something that looks cool. And he's going to think I'm an amazing student pastor. And when he thinks I'm an amazing student pastor, he's going to think I'm really important. And when I feel important, I'm going to be accepted here. Do you see the, the trap that I fell into? Whereas I should have gone to him knowing that I'm accepted by Jesus Christ because I spent time in the Word and in the presence of God. And that I was significant before I even walked into that building. And that I was a student pastor before I even walked into that building because that is what God had called me to do. And when all those three things were in place, Jesus would have been faithful to bring about a complete work. Are you with me? So the last, the last scripture I want to read before we do the communion is Luke 10 verse 2. And Luke 10 verse 2 starts off with Jesus making an observation. Um, it's a very simple observation. And that is that the harvest is plentiful. Not the harvest will be plentiful 
or I think maybe there's a few opportunities. He says, the harvest is plentiful. So what he's saying is that people are ready. It's ready. You know, somebody would say, I've heard people say, yeah, well, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to overwhelm him with the gospel, so I just planted a seed. And sure, that sounds good, but what the Bible says is that he was ready for the, what the, the word that you had to bring. This is what it says here. It says the harvest is plentiful. Okay? The harvest is ready. But the laborers are few. So what's the solution? What's the first step then? Jesus gives it as well. Therefore, Pray. The harvest is plentiful. People are ready. There are too few people. So where do we start? Well, pray. Pray for the laborers. Pray for yourself as a laborer. And this is this is where we got to start. Is that, you know, I'm 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 trusting that we're going to see amazing things in this month, as as God brings about prayer. But before we start. Seeking after the fruit, we've got to start with the priorities, get our priorities straight. And that is that don't abuse prayer to get something that you want before you know that you are first and foremost connected with God. Don't use prayer as a means of bringing about the kingdom so you can finally feel accepted. Okay? Use prayer first and foremost to connect with God. Then all those things will be added. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added. Then you're going to see the, the lame walk. You're going to see the, the blind see. You're going to see the, the captive set free. Amen? Because here's, here's the thing. When we adhere to a cycle of works, we're still slaves. And slaves don't have any power. But when we adhere to a cycle of grace, we walk in freedom. Okay? And it's freedom that have the earth. People that are free that have power. Slaves don't have power. That's why they're slaves. You with me? Okay. Um, can the ushers start handing? Can we all stand? And then the ushers can start handing out communion. <laughs>